So we're working through the series, Why Things Go Wrong and How to Put Them Right. And tonight, tonight the topic is why some people will never become holy. Why some people will never become holy. And the text is Proverbs twenty-two, thirteen. One verse. We'll look at a few other things as we uh, get into it. Proverbs twenty-two, thirteen. The sluggard says, the lazy man, there is a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. Don't know if you've ever had that for a sermon text before. Proverbs 22:13 The sluggard says there is a lion outside and I will be killed in the streets. Before we get right into this, let's just do a a, a bit of a zippity doo kind of a review. We're looking at uh, problems, where problems come from, what to do about them biblically, and how to keep repeating the same mistakes. We're still studying what to do with problems that are of our own making. And if you think back to the very beginning, so we're studying problems that are the results of our own sinful choices. But I said back in the beginning, that's just one category of the four that we're going to study. It just happens to be where we've landed right now because it seemed the most obvious to start with. There are problems that come from living in a fallen world. Um, people, that are, people that are killed in a hurricane uh, didn't specifically do something to deserve that. Uh, a drunk driver plows through the intersection and you're maimed for life. It's not a problem of your making, it's a problem. Problems that come from living in a fallen world, problems that come from decisions and choices of others, problems that are allowed for for the purifying and deepening of our faith. We preached on that this morning. We'll get to that in the study tonight. And the fourth category, uh, problems that are the result of sinful choices. They're not always easy to trace back to specific choices we've made, and that's what we're going to see in this text tonight. They're not always easy to diagnose, but there is this broad category of problems that one way or another stems from Sinful choices, bad patterns of thinking and expression. We looked at three texts of Scripture designed to guide us in some of our moral choices. We looked at the Ten Commandments, looked at the Beatitudes, 1 Corinthians 13, the commandments geared to guide our actions, the Beatitudes, the the inner person, the thought life, the attitudes that get formed in the heart. 1 Corinthians 13, the kind of relationships we set up and how we conduct ourselves in those relationships. And last week, though it wasn't in your notes, and by the way, I put updated notes in the resource room covering everything that we talked about last week. Talked a little bit about the importance of prayer in solving problems. Remember, oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And we looked at the precious capacity of God's delivering and keeping power. And there were about three points that I touched on, and I assume they were in your notes. Did anybody remember that? That's kind of where we've come in this study. The text. The sluggard, the lazy man says, there is a lion outside and I shall be killed in the streets. So point number one, there's something in our hearts that fights against our initial efforts in applying God's word honestly to our problems. There's something in us 
It's in you. As you sit here tonight, this is in you. There's something in all of us that fights against our initial efforts to apply God's word to our hearts. Is my voice unusually loud or is it just me? I see people saying, yes, it is. It's kind of loud and echoey. If I could just pull me back just a wee bit maybe. What in the world does this strange verse have to do with experiencing victory and power, problems of our own making, in this battle with sin and darkness? The lazy man says there's a lion outside and I shall be killed in the streets. What does that have to do with problems we get into from our own sinful choices and how to get out of those? I want to say it has everything to do with it and I want to explain why. The verse is about a man who who won't go outside to work. It's an agrarian culture. He won't go out and plant his crops. He won't go out and feed the livestock. He's trapped in his house. He won't fulfill his obligations. Life is shrinking all around him. And he might wish that his life were better than it is. He might wish that things improved. But things aren't going to improve and things aren't going to get any better. And the reason is he's blind to the real reason for his problem. He has made himself blind to his real situation. The proverb doesn't really read properly, does it? The sluggard says, there is a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. That's not what I would have expected it to say. I would have written, The coward says, There's a lion outside. And I shall be slain in the streets. That would make more sense. I mean, certainly we can all understand the phobia, the the irrational fear of a lion... Coming from the heart of a panic-stricken coward. The coward and his fear seem to go together. Coward, fear. Even if there is no lion in the street. His fear of a lion, even if it's an irrational fear, his fear of a lion could still be debilitating. Like a little kid that's afraid of ghosts. Or the dark. And you can tell them not to be afraid... But when you're little, the dark is scary. So if this guy honestly thought there was a lion outside, even if there wasn't a lion in in that part of the world at all, if he honestly thought there was a lion outside, you'd sit down, you'd explain to him, but you could at least have some sympathy for a guy that lives with that kind of fear, bound by that kind of fear. But no, the writer of this proverb knew what he was doing. The Holy Spirit planted these ideas very carefully with with a specific, very particular lesson in mind. This verse is not about a coward expressing a fear that is honestly in his heart. 
This verse is about something entirely different. This verse is about a man who has a problem. It's a spiritual problem. His problem is laziness. But this man, instead of finding a solution to his problem, he creates a different explanation to avoid solving his problem. It's a dodge. This man deflects attention away from his real problem, laziness, by creating an illusion, another problem, a lion out in the streets. Now, he does have a real spiritual problem, but his heart is such that the greatest solution in the whole world isn't going to be of use to him. Why some people will never become holy. The greatest solution in the world is of no use to him because he doesn't want to actually face what his real problem is. This is a guy who suppresses the truth. He can't find a solution to his problem for the same reason a bank robber can't find the police. He's running from solutions. He doesn't want to solve his problem. In fact, he's set all of the creative powers of his mind in a totally different direction. He's manufacturing illusions, diversions that will deflect other people and his own attention from the real nature of his sin. He doesn't want to look at it. This man is avoiding a solution to his problem while pretending he's found the real problem. So he might be lazy, but he's not stupid. He knows that no one will approve of him staying in his house all day just because he's lazy. But if he can convince people, even if there isn't a lion, if he can convince people that it's his fear of a lion that keeps him in his house all day, then he's won a great battle. So he thinks. I mean, who would blame him? Who would blame him for staying in the house if he believes there's a lion going to gobble him up if he goes outside the door? All the, all the creative powers of his intellect have been hijacked by his sinful heart. He's the picture of a man working against ever finding a spiritual solution his problem. The writer of the proverb wants us to know that this happens a lot. I think it could be argued that the deepest, major, profound first step in repentance is self-honesty. When someone finally says, you know, this isn't the issue, and this isn't the issue, and this isn't the issue... And it's not what he did to me, and it's not what she said, and it's not what my wife did to me, and it's not those hypocrites in the church. 
It's me. It's me. That old spiritual, it's me, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. That's a hard place to come to. I mentioned it earlier. This man is doing what Paul was describing in Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. There it is. Suppressing the truth. That's it exactly. This man could change, but he won't. Because the change, well, the change is too demanding. He doesn't want to face it. He can't summon that level of self-honesty. And there's a chance there for him, but he won't take it. I read a great, great quote. Thomas Edison once said, Most people miss wonderful opportunities because opportunities always appear in overalls and look like work. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) Wonderful opportunities. They always appear in overalls and look like work. If, if, if we would be truly wise, if we would truly go grow in, in beautiful, simple, holy devotion to our Lord, if we would get out of problems of our own making with spiritual wisdom... We need to understand, this is what this proverb is for, we need to understand how our hearts are programmed to work. There's a default position that our hearts always immediately take, and wise, spiritual people recognize it, and they pounce on it. If we aren't very careful, and if we aren't very prayerful, our hearts, our desires will always seek to bend the way our thoughts work. Our desires will always exploit, hijack our thinking to justify what we enjoy and the way we want to stay. This lazy man does not want to stop being lazy. That's why he invents the lion out in the street. Everybody see that? That's his problem. Let me try to say it another way. The Holy Spirit will truly provide many things, uh, many tools, many blessings. He, He quickens the word. Jesus said he'd bring to our remembrance things we've studied and learned. He won't learn them for us. But if we've learned them, he will quicken them to our hearts. The Holy Spirit is very faithful to come and to convict and 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 prod and point us to the truth even when we're drifting otherwise but if we don't want to listen honestly and if we don't want to face the sin that the holy spirit and the word points out in our own heart if we rename it if we keep shifting attention if we're cagey with the way god wants to deal with our hearts Some people will never become holy. That's why, you know, that's why Adam blames Eve for his sin. That's why, you know, even even former American presidents don't know the meaning of the word is. That's why intelligent Christian people 
can't remember when a person is or isn't married. That's why people can justify immorality and greed in their lives. Truth is always held hostage by unrighteous commitments in the heart. If you want it in the words of the New Testament, John 3.20, everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Bingo. That's John 3.20. If you want another great quote, John Piper sums it up this way. This is, you can take this quote to the bank. Doing the evil we love makes us hostile to the light of truth which will expose the evil and rob us of its pleasures. In this condition, the mind becomes a factory of half-truths, equivocations, sophistries, evasions, lies, Anything to protect the evil desire of the heart from exposure and destruction. There's a lion out in the streets. That's what the lazy man says. He's not afraid of a lion. He's afraid of change. All of this means the lazy man in the house is not going to get anywhere. He won't get anywhere if he sits in his house and he fasts and prays and reads his Bible from sunup till sunset. It will be useless to him. He will be useless in terms of changing his condition until he stops in his tracks and says, There is no lion in the streets. My problem isn't outside, my problem is inside. And I'm not facing the truth about myself. God forgive me and God help me. And suddenly, the word will come alive. His prayer will make a difference. His life will get in gear. Because he's working with the truth of God's word rather than against the truth of God's word. I hope you don't see this as just some kind of an intellectual exercise. Here's here's what I know about every one of you in this place. I don't know your lives. I know this about every one of you because I know me. God speaks to every one of you. He'll speak to you this week. You might be reading your Bible. You might be at prayer. You might be in a church service. You might be in a Bible study. It might just be your conscience while you're at work. He speaks to people. He will talk to you this week. And what will determine whether any good fruit comes of that whatsoever is the extent to which your initial reaction isn't to put up some kind of excuse or rationalization. Do you see how real this gets? We never get past this. If you want to walk in the light and power of of truth, here's what to do. I have one, two, three things. So I hope that's what you have in your notes. Do you have three things? See, I, I learn. 
not just a pretty face. If you want to walk in the light and power of truth, here's what to do. A, know the truth. Know the truth. Only truth can save a soul from the deceptive power of sin and Satan. John 8, 32. You will know the truth. The truth will set you free. Truth unknown, truth unlearned will benefit no one. The Holy Spirit will bring to your remembrance truth you have learned. The Holy Spirit will not learn truth for you. There is a direct correlation between the honest heart and the intake of the Word of God. Just just think about what we're talking about. The lazy man says there's a lion in the street. And just apply it here. There's all sorts of people. You know what they're going to say? They're going to say, Pastor Don, you don't understand the Bible. The Bible, it's, it's really hard to understand. I try and read my Bible, and it's really hard for me to get truth out of it. Pastor Don, you don't understand. Like, I, I get up at 5 o'clock, and I, and, and I got, I got to get on the go train, and I'm down the city, and I don't get home till 8 o'clock. Great, you can talk about sitting there and reading books and studying truth, but some of us live in the real world, and I just don't have time for that kind of stuff. And so, and so here I am, and I'm saying, you know what? You, you need God's truth in your life. And you know what you're doing? You're saying, there's a lion out in the streets. This isn't going to work for me. And you need to stop and say, it's funny, I got time to go to the gym five times a week. And I didn't spend three hours last week in my Bible. You can pretend the problem is your schedule. The real problem is there's a lazy man in there. Oh, you're aggressive and busy with all sorts of stuff. I'm talking about here. There's a, there's a lazy person there. But when it's confronted, you're going to say, no, nope, uh, there's a lion out in the streets. <laughs> know the truth. Know the truth. Do something, anything, something. Get God's truth into your system. You and I simply have no capacity to avoid the ravages of sin and Satan apart from knowing the liberating truth of God's word. That's why the Bible is more precious than gold. Gold can't save your soul. God's word can B, flee the counsel of the ungodly. This is the negative side of that first positive truth. Know the truth. And what I'm saying here, I guess, is this. It is not enough to fill your life with God's word unless at the same time you make room for a love of that truth to grow in your life. And that will never happen until you eliminate things that compete. Things that, that are presented by the enemy to outsparkle the truth of the word in your mind's eye. And so we read stuff like this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Now, he hasn't even started 
where he's going to get to. The second verse, his delight is in the law of the Lord. But he doesn't start the psalm talking about learning, meditating, delighting in God's word. And there's a reason for that. He knows that it's useless to sit and try and find your delight in God's word when you're feeding your soul on so many things that will compete with it and oppose its truth in your life. Don't walk with the counsel of the wicked. Don't stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of mockers. The word of God has to be embraced in such a way that it it starts to affect the rest of the diet of your life. We've been looking at this text in uh, my Christian ed class. We've been talking about Psalm 1-1. So if you're here for my class, I'm sorry for the, the repeat. And here's what I've been thinking. There's this progression. Walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scoffers. So, so there's this progression, and it starts with just what, what do you listen to? And the assumption of our day is, the assumption of our day is, you will be better off listening to absolutely everything with an open mind. And the declaration of God's word is, no, you won't. No, you won't. So here's a person. What, what, what do you listen to? What voices have input into your life? And, 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 if, and if there's a message out there that by wicked it means contrary to what you know God's will and way is. If there's a message out there that's contrary to it, don't, don't listen to that. And then, and then, after just the message, there's, there's the association. What, what crowd brings influence into your life? And then the third step is, here's a guy who just starts, he approaches truth with an open mind, and, and I just want to examine everything and, and play the field of mental ideas, the marketplace of ideas, and listens to absolutely everything and gives it all space in his heart. He builds friendships, relationships that are, I know you have to reach the lost and evangelize, but he builds relationships that are close enough that they actually influence the way he thinks, okay? So key relationships, but they aren't in Christ. And how does does it happen that a person who once professes Christ ends up in a place where he mocks the ideas. The very ideas he once held now look ridiculous to him. He mocks them. How did it happen? And, and here's what I want to say. We might, just, we might just get to here. Here's what I want to say. If you follow the structure of that first verse, listening companionship, total rejection of Christ. You're not going to change your mind once you're here. You're toast. And what the psalmist is saying, if I, boy, and I I love seeing all these, I don't know if it's that you guys are so young now or it's just that I'm getting old, but I see so many people that look young. 
Does that happen to everybody? Like just about everybody looks young after a while? To all of you who look young to me, here's what I see here. If you are going to keep your life pure and clean, here's what this means. You have to reject sin long before it actually looks that wicked. Okay? It's, it's in the listening. Just the exposure of your life. Which leads to associations and relationships. Which leads to mocking the very convictions you once held. And so, if I'm going to pursue holiness, I have to pursue it to the point that my carefulness looks ridiculous to most people, even in the church. That's what I want to say to you. If you want to pursue holiness, you have to start pursuing it at a point that actually looks ridiculous to most people who aren't that careful. And the reason people end up mocking the very convictions they once held as precious is they didn't realize until too late where that road was taking them. Have I made that point clear? Do you understand what I'm saying? So, but, but the thing is, if you start at step one, just, you know what, I'm not watching that program. Orange is the new black just isn't that funny to a follower of Christ. And I'm not going to get involved in that kind of stuff because that's, that's how this starts, right? It's in the listening, the watching. And, and I'm not going to start here because I don't want to go here and I sure don't want to end up there. But if you separate yourself here, most of your friends in this church are going to say, everybody watches that. What are you talking about? And so the place where you have to fortify righteousness in your life, it's at a point where it looks silly to most people. Because the things of God, remember, the intake of spiritual truth. And then the second point, ridding your life of things that are opposed. Flee the counsel of the ungodly. The things of God in your life will never look that exciting and that attractive when they have to compete with a host of other things that you're still bringing into the citadel of your soul. And lastly, here's the third step. Resist every temptation to justify sin. I'm not lazy. It's a lion outside. Here's a safe rule of thumb. The first temptation to excuse sin is the only one you are likely to resist. Everybody get that? The first temptation to excuse sin is the only one you're likely to resist. After that, you've already caved. Once you tell others the reason you're not going outside is there's a lion in the street, you're very unlikely to ever admit there's no lion, I was just lazy. But if you can muster the presence of mind, the spiritual wisdom, to catch your make-believe, the rebellion of your mind, 
before you make your commitment to sin pronounced and public, then you have a greater chance of turning to the truth and finding spiritual freedom. Sin indulged in not only increases guilt, it does, but it also hardens the heart against ever repenting and acknowledging the truth. So if you want to escape the pain of sinful choices, if you want to find the freedom and the power to both get out and stay out of the painful clutches of the enemy, remember the Holy Spirit only traffics in truth. Let somebody else manufacture the lions out in the street if they want to play those kind of spiritual games. You know what I think? I think for a lot of us, that first step out of a mess and the first step to Jesus may not appear all that brilliant and it may not seem overwhelmingly powerful, but if it's absolutely honest... God will smile and take you further than you ever thought possible.